Welcome to FIC Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence fixed income, credit currency, and commodity strategists and analysts discuss their short and long-term views on debt markets and issuers. Now, here's the Bloomberg Intelligence FIC research team. Welcome to the FIC Focus podcast, the Macro Matters edition. I'm Ira Jersey, the chief U.S. interest rate strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence. Today, we're going to focus on the rates markets, both in North America as well as Europe. I'm here with Hugh Worthington, who is our chief uh, rate strategist for Europe and the United Kingdom. Hugh, thanks for coming back on FIC Focus. Thanks for having me. Also here with me is Angelo Monolatos, who later on will be talking a little bit about his view on the Canadian rates market. But first, I'd like to start just a little bit with uh, the U.S. rates market. So just this morning, as we're recording here on the 3rd of December 2021, we just had a payrolls report. Uh, the headline non-farm payrolls report missed. The household survey, however, was a incredibly strong with over 1.1 million jobs created in that survey. Wages didn't go up as much as economists expected, but still went up pretty decently. And hours worked actually went up a tenth of an hour, which in aggregate, when you add all of those things together, makes it a pretty decent payroll report. Um, from my standpoint, I think that this means that the Federal Reserve will, on the 15th of December, uh, increase the pace of its uh, asset purchase taper. But what we have to miss and what I think the market might be underappreciating is that just because the Federal Reserve is going to taper its asset purchases faster doesn't mean that it necessarily will hike earlier and or faster. Because um, I think that there are a lot of bumps in the road. And by the time we get to the end of taper in, in March or April of next year, you'll start to see um, headline inflation numbers start to come down pretty significantly, thanks in large part to base effects, but also slightly lower prices and things like energy. Oil prices at the moment are off about $18 a barrel from where they were in uh, in the survey week for December uh, a month or so ago. So th th there's going to be you know significant uh, headlines about the next two months of inflation prints, but I think thereafter it'll start to come down. Um, so if the Federal Reserve, if we're right, and the Federal Reserve say hikes in June and then maybe November of 2022, um, the question is, what will the market price for the future and, and what will th uh, therefore happen? Well, I think that there's two general trends that we'll see in the U.S. rates market. One is that the belly of the yield curve, so three-year notes, five-year notes, um, seven-year notes, will underperform the rest of the curve. Um, I think that, that the 10-year and 30-year yields will rise modestly, but it's really the two-year yield that will, and, and uh, two to five-year yield that will go up quite significantly. In fact, we're thinking that two-year yields will almost double from their current levels up toward 1.3% uh, from around 65 basis points right now. Um, and, and this incessant flattening is certainly going to bring on doubts that that the uh, risk assets uh, can do well. And that's one reason why the 10-year and 30-year yield probably won't be able to kind of breach much above 2% and or the, um, much above the, the uh, in the case of the 30-year, much above uh, the 2021 yield highs. Um, so with that, uh, with that said, that, that's, you know, our general thinking for the U.S. I mean, the Federal Reserve, I think, will be more cautious than the market's taking it for right now. Let's talk about, though, the differences between the Fed's somewhat more hawkish tone and what's been going on in Europe. So let's talk. Let's first, Hugh, talk a little bit about the European Central Bank and the continental rates markets first, and then we'll pivot over to the UK in a few minutes. Um, so, you know, talk to us about your view on 
2022, how the ECB uh, is going to uh, shape up its policy and what that might mean for the rates market in general. Yeah, sure. So uh, the ECB, um, well, obviously, actually, we did actually get to, into a situation at the last ECB meeting at the end of October where the markets were actually starting to expect possibly even a hike from the ECB, which was uh, pretty extraordinary because that hasn't been something which has been priced for a long, long time. Um, and uh, Christine Lagarde shocked us all, I think, a little bit by saying it wasn't her to, to say anything about that sort of pricing. So, you know, people did really start genuinely think that the ECB could hike rates at some point, which is quite interesting because, of course, at the same time, when the ECB says they're going to hike rates, it means they're going to stop QE before that, that happens. Now, and then suddenly she went completely back on all that a few days later and said that the conditions for hiking rates were, weren't going to exist in 2022 at all. Um, and uh, we've, we've seen her say that again today. So basically they've gone from sort of, you know, showing a bit of leg at the possibility of a rate hike to actually sort of completely kiboshing it now. And I, and I suspect they'll try and give that message very much at the, uh, at the, the coming meeting in mid-December. So, and, really and so what hike. does that mean? So what does that mean, Hugh, for if you if you're correct, what does that mean then for where 10 year gilts, which had been approaching zero, right? They have been negative for quite a long time. They'd been approaching zero and then, you know, snap back. Where where do those go? And, and what does the shape of the curve look like, even though, you know, large parts of the curve are likely to remain very negative in uh, 2022? Well, absolutely, yeah. So they, they can they can they can hammer the front end down. They can basically you know commit to keeping front end rates unchanged, and that means that that those that the two year rate can stay pretty much you know around where it is you know right now. But longer term, I think you know what 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 will happen to ten year bond yields. Like I said, they they got pretty close to zero, and you know if we do get we are we are going to have a de facto taper as, as well from the ECB uh, in March time when they will effectively again will stop pandemic QE and then roll on to something much much lower, and that means they're going to be going from buying sixty odd billion. Uh, uh, the euro's worth of of, of government bonds uh, every month, probably going into the APP purchases of buying around 15. So that's going to be an enormous change, and and that is is possibly going to take the squeeze off the bond market, which we've been seeing. You know, there's plans to issue about 100 billion euros at least of of bonds next year. Some of that will be taken down by QE in the first few months, but that squeeze has a chance to lift. You know, inflation is is becoming a concern. The two tens curve can rise, and I think you know we can be looking at going into the latter part of 2022 with with that defector QE taper happening with bond yields you know moving back into 10 year bond yields at least moving back into that positive territory so Hugh you know even if German yields go up a little bit talk a little bit about the peripherals and you know countries like Spain and and Italy with the ECB cutting their asset purchases uh, being done by by local central banks by 75% or so um what will happen to spreads in the uh, in those countries uh given the pullback from the ECB yeah sure well i mean like i said the the, the ECB's got almost got a tiger by the tail in terms of the periphery because they probably, you know, they know that they're going to have to ease back on the on the on the pandemic QE, and that means a lot less buying in the, in the periphery. Um, but the, the the one thing which I think we've got to bear in mind is, is that all the buying of of the debt in, during the pandemic in the periphery, it's all been by the national central banks. All and more of net debt issuance has been taken down by QE. So somebody else after after uh, March is going to have to step up and, and and buy. And all the indications are that's going to be up to the private sector, and all the indications are that they will demand. In a more yields and higher spreads to do that. Now, the ECB won't want to see that getting into a situation where, where the countries get stressed. Um, but I think, you know, certainly on our models, we think that the, the uh, spreads are something like 50 basis points in Italy, at least uh, too tight here. But, you know, Italy yielding, that would imply Italy yielding one, one and a half to two percent in the 10 year area. 
and that isn't the sort of thing which is going to uh, upset people too much and you know and, and that's going to be quite livable with for for italy uh, and, and the ecb probably so that that's i think the sort of the the probably area we'd look at in later in the year Great. So let's uh, turn back to North America just for a moment and go to Angela Monolatos to talk a little bit about the Great White North going up to the Canadian rates market. We have a Bank of Canada meeting uh, in a week's time or so. Um, you know, Angela, what are you expecting, you know, both from the Bank of Canada as well as the, you know, more and, and you know, how their actions might ultimately affect the Canadian rates market? Hey, Aaron, thanks for having me on. So, yeah, the Bank of Canada's meeting, um, meeting next week on December 8th, and they're publishing a, um, so this is a statement only meeting. They uh, they have eight a year like the Fed, but this is what, this one is where they only publish a statement. Uh, there's no press conference. So what we expect, so there's no forecasts. So I don't really expect a change to forward guidance at this meeting without uh, the forecasts. However, I, we do expect, uh, in, uh, between us and Bloomberg Economics, we do expect perhaps a little bit more of a hawkish tilt and more concern about uh, inflation and an economy and labor market that's heating up, as evident by today's labor force survey numbers, which was very large beat, just looking at employment to population ratios. So uh, back in, in July, the Bank of Canada quoted that, uh, you know, although the jobs gap is almost covered, uh, if you look at the employment to population ratio between June and pre-pandemic, you had somewhere around 550,000 jobs gap. However, if, if I'm looking at my calculations right now, that has gone from 550,000 to 130,000. And if you look at the unemployment implied jobs gap, it's gone from around 450,000 down to 80,000. So the jobs market's heating up. We haven't seen peak inflation yet. And although inflation is forecasted to peak this quarter. I am expecting a, a more hawkish statement. And uh, perhaps if the statement is a bit uh, hawkish, we may see uh, more large outsized moves and uh, potentially that, that January meeting, I guess there is the potential for that January meeting to be more live and even perhaps fully pressed. Although that and, is not- and, and of course we have, to, we have to remember that that the Bank of Canada has already tapered its asset purchases and is currently just reinvesting its uh, its portfolio. So so they're not in the, they're at least three three to five months uh, in front of the, the Federal Reserve in terms of where they can be from a monetary policy perspective. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Um, the Bank of Canada, however, has a more explicit forward guidance than the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve's current forward guidance and isn't as explicit as the Bank of Canada. So the Bank of Canada says, hey, the output, we forecast that the output gap is going to close in the middle of 2022. And at that time, we they expect to, to raise interest rates. So yes, that does mean uh, that meetings are more live since their, their QE program ended in um, November November 1st of this year. Uh, however, they have more explicit, explicit for guidance. And since there's no forecast, there needs to be a really more of a uh, hawkish and more concern about inflation in the statement in order for that the the market to expect that for guidance to come in either to the the uh, March or January meeting. So mention a little bit then about how that might affect uh, the shape of the curve and the market. You know, will we see steepening, flattening? You know, what what part of the curve might see uh, the most dramatic move? Yeah. So the. So I think the front end of the curve has around 70 basis points. It could it could move within the next year, obviously, as 
as as more hikes are priced in and the hikes uh, start happening. So hawkish moves are gonna are gonna really affect that two to five year sector um, and have uh, smaller smaller moves uh, further out in the curve. So yeah, would would expect a bit of a of a bear of a bear flattening in the yield curve. Great. Um, so Hugh, turning back to you and and looking at the UK, you know, do you think that the UK is closer? To Canada or closer to the the Europe and the, and the ECB in terms of you know where they are in their own rate and hiking cycle. At one point, we were actually pricing for very small hikes this month. Um, you, you know, or you know, wh- where are we now? What are we pricing, and and what do you expect from the Bank of England um, over the uh, um, over the coming year? Yeah, well, that's actually a very good uh, a good analogy, actually. Yeah, I mean, and it was actually actually worse than that. that in this in the November meeting. We were, you know, pretty much going into that meeting at one point, expecting, you know, odds on that they they could hike. Um, we actually went in, I think, with 50-50 chances at, into the meeting itself, but the expectations were higher ahead of that. And uh, expectations even into the mid-December meeting um, have been, you know, much higher than they are now. Though um, we, I know, because we saw some comments from uh, Saunders today, who was one of the people who wanted to hike last time, that maybe they, they wanted to wait and see what the Omicron variant. Uh, you know, it was going to do to the economy and, or see a bit more data about it. And so it looks like that December meeting is is now off. Um, now, I, however, they, they have also been pretty explicit in saying that they do need to hike rates in, in the UK. So, you know, we are, it is more like Canada. I suspect that the next, that they, we, that they will hike in the new year when we've hopefully got a, a bit more uh, clarity on Omicron and everything else. But it's important in terms of timing because we come back to something which, um, Angela was also saying about this sort of forward guidance thing. Now, the Bank of England will actually stop reinvesting gilts uh, that they hold in the asset purchase facility when rates get to 50 basis points. Now, if they'd gone in December or even back in November and in February, we'd be at that 50 basis point level. So that's key because in March, there's a £28 billion gilt uh, holding which is due to be reinvested. And basically, that means that they will probably not be at 50 basis points by March, they'll only have hiked once by February. So that, that cash goes back into the market. And that means basically we get no net issuance after uh, QE flows in, in the, the last few QE flows in December are accounted for until June. Um, at the same time, we are probably going to get a few more hikes as well so that front end can go up. But I think what will happen is in, in the UK to, initially, at least, because of that that that, that, that reinvestment of, uh, of the guilt proceeds in March and, and a very little bit of very little net issuance, it means that maybe the higher sort of higher and steeper curves in in gilts is something maybe for later in the year, really for the second half of 2022. Um, but you know we will get more more uh, uh, rate hikes. We've now got a whole hike price to go to one percent by November, and that's even more key because at that point the the Bank of England don't just stop reinvesting um, gilt proceeds that they, they hold in the asset purchase facility; they actually start selling uh, gilts potentially. So that could provide another leg to, to higher yields in, in gilts towards the end of the back end of 2022. Well, well, that's that's interesting, Hugh. So, so the way that the Federal Reserve and and at some level and the Bank of Canada, for that matter, too, they, they basically run off their portfolios passively, where they just reinvest the maturing debt. At least that's what they're doing right now. Um, so, so is the does the Bank of England do their quantitative tightening differently than that? They they, they don't just let it run off. They actually uh, sell bonds into the market. Well, they've never actually done that. But what they've said this time is that what they've said is that they they'll stop the, the reinvestments are saying at a half percent, but then they will start to actually sell gilts outright when they get to one percent. So that that gilt that pricing of the yields getting to one percent by uh, by late 2022 is pretty interesting because at that point they will actually start you know reduce the balance sheet 
um, actively as in by selling gills. So yeah, that's like, yeah, that, that's interesting. So one of the market narratives that's been going around um, in the, in the last twenty four hours or so in the U.S. is that uh, maybe instead of hiking, the Federal Reserve will do quantitative tightening and let its balance sheet run off and do that in as a alternative to actually increasing the federal funds target rate. Um, I, I'm a little bit skeptical that they would do that. I don't see why the Federal Reserve w would start runoff early, um, but but like the Bank of England, I could see them starting to run off their balance sheet maybe in the middle of, of a hiking cycle, but not as a first step or a very early step um, in, in a hiking cycle. At least that's that's my personal opinion. Um, I don't see why they wouldn't stick more or less to the previous playbook that they uh, um, that, that they used during the last hiking cycle instead of trying to trying a new experiment. I think in, I guess in the UK because they've never tried runoff before. Um, well, no one tried runoff, I guess, except the United States. Really, <laughs> that um, that that this is all going to be new for most central banks. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, how. The market reacts to them if they're not passive in their in their balance sheet runoff and, and are act more active in it. Now, if if you see that, and I'm going to stick a little bit with this, you because I think it's an interesting aspect to the market structure and market reaction. Do you think that they'll sell basically all the different maturities, maybe in, in a similar proportion to what the um, what what the exchequer is is selling, or do you think that they'll they're more likely just to like sell front end stuff that's not going to have a lot of risk or or duration, or or will they? You know, again, um, you know, sell throughout the curve. Um, I suspect that you know they they probably want to do it fairly evenly. They probably want to do it across the curve. They probably try and you know tell tell us that you know they do it via reverse auctions. Um, um, you know, in 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 certain buckets and in certain sort of times, is that they they try and make it as, as as clear for the market as possible as to what's likely to happen. But I'm, I was suspect that they would they would you know probably try and uh, you know wouldn't, they wouldn't want to concentrate too much and and distort the curve. Possibly in in by by concentrating too much in one bucket or another. To be perfectly honest, that's something probably, they probably want to try and avoid. But obviously, you know, maybe we'll get more more news on that front uh, nearer the time. And and if and if those uh, those rate hikes actually do sort of you know come into reality. Great. Well, Hugh, anything else on either Europe or the Bank of England that you'd like to mention before we uh, move over to our next segment? I can't think of anything right now. Yeah. Thanks, Hugh. Thanks very much for coming on. And we're going to stick with Angelo Monolatos, however, because it is time for our Fun Fed Facts segment. Angelo, the Federal Reserve, as I mentioned in my opening remarks, or uh, appears to be better than even odds that they're going to increase their pace of taper. What might that look like if they go, say, from a $15 billion per month taper to a $30 billion a month taper? Yeah. So, so the current pace of taper, as you mentioned, is $15 billion. So I, I like to think of things as when does it end and when is the earliest possible hike, assuming the Fed won't hike as they're buying assets? So the current the current pace uh, would mean that Fed asset purchases end around the ninth business day of, of June, which makes the June uh, mid June meeting live uh, the first possible hike the Fed could do. However, if the Fed were to speed up the pace and uh, double it, which is uh, what uh, Bloomberg Economics had published earlier this week, that would actually mean that the the March meeting um, would be live, even if the Fed didn't touch the December to January purchases purchase schedule that they've pre-announced at the um, early November meeting. So it would be if they double the pace, it's a mid-March end versus a mid-June end. Great, that's really interesting. Um, 
and we will obviously see that on December the 15th uh, when the Federal Reserve uh, meets again. We will have a press conference at that meeting, plus a summary for economic projections, which obviously the inflation expectations in, in the SEP uh, and the central tendency for what the committee members think will, will, will do that. And interestingly, this is several members' last meeting uh, in December. Um, we will have, as, as another fun Fed fact, we'll, we'll have at least three members who will be leaving the committee um, and then uh, uh, and right as of right now, we don't know exactly who's going to be joining the committee uh, to replace all of them. We know that Lyle Brainerd is going to be the replacement for Richard Clarida um, as the vice chair. But other than that, we, we don't have clarity on who else will be joining the committee. Uh, with that, on behalf of Hugh Worthington and Angelo Monolatos, I've been Ira Jersey. Thanks for listening to this Macro Matters edition of the FIC Focus podcast. If you have any ideas for topics you'd like us to hit on our bi-weekly podcast, please let us know. It can hit us up on the Bloomberg terminal. With that, be well.